0: Hello America, happy Friday. What a busy news week it's been. CPAC is roaring down in Dallas. Lots of great speeches, lots of great appearances. My good colleague Amanda Head on our television show, Just the News Not Noise, she's down there interviewing people. We had a lot of great interviews yesterday, including with Mercedes Schlapp, former Congressman Doug Collins. A lot more big interviews coming today, including Congressman Brian Babin from the great state of Texas, and of course, Congressman Andy Biggs from Arizona. Two guys whose states are really dealing with the border crisis. And we're going to have a great show today. We're going to talk a little bit about military recruitment problems and big tech censorship collusion. Big tech collusion with federal agencies to suppress your and my free speech. We're going to get to all that in a second. But first, because we're thinking about the border, because CPAC this year is in Texas for the summer session because the two congressmen on the TV show tonight are both hailing from border states. I want to give you some breaking news that just happened just a little bit ago in the great state of Texas. Governor Greg Abbott, two months ago, he began busing some of the illegal migrants that have invaded Texas and sent them to Washington, D.C. The effect was the Washington, D.C. mayor cried uncle. Ah, we like illegal migrants unless they come to our, our city. You're overwhelming us. Stop it. Well, Greg Abbott's not stopping that. He's continued to keep that going. Well, this week, Governor Abbott reached out to New York City Mayor Adams and said, hey, you like sanctuary cities, come down and see the border. Check things out. Of course, Adams shook it off and said, Eric Adams said, you know what, that's a stunt. Well, you've got to be careful when you spurn someone down in the great state of Texas. Today, Governor Abbott announced he is busing illegal migrants now to New York City to see if Eric Adams, a New York City mayor, who likes sanctuary cities. Well, let's see if he likes having the migrants bust into his city. Fascinating dynamic going on today in Texas. The continuation. It's interesting. Democrats love illegal migrants until they're dropped into their city, like what Greg Abbott's doing. I think Greg Abbott is calling the bluff. You get to see that live on news.com. Go check out that story. It's been trending all day. All right. So we've got two great guests today. One of them's never been on the show before. One has been a freaking guest, and we love having him on. In the opening block, the Louisiana Attorney General is joining us. He has been an extraordinary voice in fighting for freedom, particularly now in the realm of censorship. Attorney General Jeff Landry joins us in a second. He just dropped subpoenas on big tech and federal agencies trying to get evidence of collusion between federal agencies seeking to censor Americans on Twitter, on Facebook, on the social platforms. He's going to bring us up to speed on what those subpoenas are likely to yield. And then also, he just won a big lawsuit down in Louisiana, allowing him and the other uh, state agencies to enforce Louisiana's ban on abortion. And the appeals court there granted the authority to allow that ban to go take effect. So we'll have that latest update from Attorney General Jeff Landry, good friend of the show, doing a lot of straight, big work in courts to help you see how federalism works in action. What is federalism? It means states' rights over a big national government. It's one of the founding principles of the founding fathers. For a long time, it had kind of fallen into the backseat. Government in Washington kept growing, and states didn't really object that much. But with people like Ron DeSantis and Attorney General Moody down in Florida, Attorney General Paxton and Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, Attorney General Landry in Louisiana, Attorney General Rokita in Indiana. You're seeing a revival of federalism. States exercising their state rights saying, hey, big governor of Washington, you can't untrude on my rights. And we saw it in the pandemic with challenges to mandates. We've seen it in the border with failure of the federal government to enforce immigration laws. And now You're seeing the states exercise those federalism rights, those state rights, to explore and expose what the federal government may have done to thwart the free speech of residents in each of those states. Let me just remind you what the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights of the Constitution says. It says that Congress may not pass any laws that will abridge the right of free speech or free expression in America. Now... CDC is not Congress, but CDC is funded and created by a congressional act, by the legislation, by the annual appropriations. And so the argument that some of these lawsuits are beginning to make is that if Congress funds something like the CDC or the NIH that then colludes with big tech to censor free speech in America, it is a violation of the Constitution. And that lawsuit, Attorney General Jeff Landry has begun in Louisiana, and he just got discovery rights, meaning he gets the permission now under the color of state subpoena, to go get the documents and see just how deep, how far-reaching, how intrusive federal collusion with the big tech companies may have been, particularly infringe our free speech during the pandemic. This could be a historic case. It could be one of the biggest and most important cases in recent free speech history in America. And General Andrews is going to be here in just a second to bring us up to speed on that. Then we're going to go Think for a second about the state of recruitment, military recruitment in America. We've had an all-volunteer army for so long now, well since the Vietnam War. And we have brave men and women that enlist voluntarily, defend freedom in this country, to put their lives on the line so you and I can sleep well at night. And rest assured that liberty is kept free from the tyranny of foreign intrusions in our country. But since the Biden administration came in, since the woke policies of pronoun enforcement in the military, critical race theory in the military, since all that began, recruitment is beginning to plummet and in a very big way. And there are some polling and survey work done by the Reagan Defense Institute that suggests that people under the age of 30 don't have the same high regard for serving in the military or respecting the military that every prior generation of Americans did. Now, some of that may be because of the way young people are being taught in school. I don't know. what will have to dig into that more as a journalist. But the second guest on our show today, he has been digging into this issue. He wrote an extraordinary op-ed in the Wall Street Journal just a couple of days ago. His name is Jimmy Byrne. His service to his country came in the form of a U.S. Army officer fought in the armored divisions of the United States Army, He recently became a student at Yale Law School. So after finishing his service to his country, he went to go get his law degree at Yale. And he is a founding board member of a great group called Veterans on Duty, a nonprofit seeking to advocate on behalf of veterans across this country. And his op-ed dug into some of the most extraordinary forces that are driving down recruitment. By 2024, it is feared that all of the military branches may have missed their recruitment capabilities. Now remember, we threw out a bunch of army officers and enlisted men because of the vaccine mandate. We're not filling the regular attrition, and now we could be accelerating that attrition. It is extraordinary. There's a lot of forces involved in this, right? Younger people are more lethargic. They're not staying physically fit. There's obesity is growing quite a bit in the last few years. That means a lot of people are not qualifying to meet the recruitment standards that the military has for healthy and fitness population. Then you see a significant amount of discrimination against conservative values in the military. Talk about people with conservative values might be white supremacists or domestic terrorists. That seems to be having effect. All of that, plus the woke agenda, the critical race theory, the pronoun enforcement, the transgender ideology. Military recruitment is plummeting, my friends. It's plummeting. And Jimmy Byrne is going to explain why. What's going on? What did his research... As a board member of Vets on Duty, what is research as a Yale Law student, what is his firsthand knowledge as a US Army officer, tell him about this dynamic and how can we change it? You heard John Bolton, the former UN ambassador, former National Security Advisor to President Trump, talk about his concerns about recruitment in the Army. Jimmy Byrne has the same concerns. He's done a lot of deep thinking about it and he's gonna make sense of it all for us today. So back to back today, Louisiana Attorney General, Jeff Landry, up first, followed by Jimmy Byrne, a voice we haven't had on the show before, but one I think you're going to quickly respect and enjoy because he brings a lot of facts with him about what's going on in the recruitment space. All right, folks, we'll be right back after this commercial message is to start off our great interviews with none other than General Landry, the Attorney General from the great state of Louisiana, right after this. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. We've had this next guest on our show many times before. There's a good reason for it. He's doing some of the most important work in the country on states' rights, on fighting back against large federal government interventions, really bringing and reviving federalism in the court system. He is the great Attorney General of the state of Louisiana. Jeff Landry, Attorney General Landry, great to have you on the show, sir.
1: It's always a pleasure to be with you and, and have an opportunity to visit with all the listeners that you got out there, great people Um, So thanks for having
0: me. Oh, it's an honor. You are doing such important work every day. We know that the Constitution says that the Congress should not pass a law or fund anything that would abridge the right of free speech in America. But it seems like the lawsuit that you're working on with the CDC, these efforts to work with private sector people to censor Americans, falls on the other side of that prohibition. Tell us what you're learning about the CDC and its efforts at censorship during the pandemic.
1: Well, you know, here I think it's an important constitutional lesson. You know, the Bill of Rights and, 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 and the, the safeguards inside of the Bill of Rights are designed to protect us from the government. And, and, and those rights say that the government can't infringe upon us. It spells out those things the government can't do. Well, the government also can't co-opt, right, or collude with a private citizen uh, to violate those same rights as well. And so what we believe and what we have found, and in fact, not long after uh, we filed the lawsuit, is that the government colluded with and encouraged the big tech platforms to be able to censor information that was vitally necessary for, to the American people during the pandemic. And, and of course, it's not just the pandemic, but we saw it in the Hunter Biden laptop, we saw it in the Russiagate with the, the Steele dossier. Uh, and, and so when the government engages in censorship, utilizing a private actor uh, who otherwise uh, could violate our First Amendment rights, uh, Facebook or Google, you know they say, hey, we're a private company. We can censor anything we want. We get a right to regulate what's on our platform. Uh, but if the government is involved in doing that, well, then they become a government actor, and that's what that suits about. The good news is is that a judge in Louisiana has agreed to allow us to conduct discovery. And so the subpoenas have gone out, and we're fixing to find some very interesting things.
0: I bet you are, and thanks on behalf of the entire American public. I know you serve the Louisiana public first, but this is an investigation that has enormous benefit to every American. The idea that our government and some partisan institutions could work together to try to silence us or censor us is really remarkable. I want to ask you about something that happened about 10 days ago, but I think it's absolutely on point for the case that you're working at. Dr. Deborah Burks, who was our coronavirus coordinator under President Trump and President Obama, made a remarkable admission. This is the same woman who, along with Dr. Fauci, said, listen, the vaccines are going to stop the spread of the a virus. She said she now admits now that all along, they knew that these vaccines would not stop the spread of infection. They might make the symptoms less, but they wouldn't stop the spread of infection. Obviously, people who questioned that at the time, those are some of the people being targeted for censorship. What do you make of someone now acknowledging that what was being said, the official storyline of the government, wasn't true?
1: Yeah, I mean, I look, it's, it's extremely troublesome. I mean, because basically what she's saying is some of the things that many scientists and doctors confirmed early on. Uh, think about the amount of people who received the vaccine based upon the decision that they were told and the belief that they could not contract the virus if they were vaccinated. Again, I think that's part of the lawsuit that we have going on, John. You see, if this is about the censoring of information, and we also, I mean, What we're also learning is there may have been, and they still are right now, therapeuticals out there that have the the tendency uh, to be able to save lives out there. And yet those same therapies uh, were suppressed by basically, uh, you know, a group of people who wanted to push a one-size-fits-all solution to the pandemic. And so we were really sold a bill of goods that we're finding out today, and the same people who sold us the bill are now walking back uh, the reason for selling it to us. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think it's it raises a number of legal questions as to liability. Uh, and this is something that I think is going to play out uh, over the coming years as more and more evidence comes out as to you know, what was the efficacy and, and what was done behind the scenes in order to push
0: this vaccine yeah no there's no doubt about it you're working on a lot of big issues a really powerful op-ed you wrote the other day about the biden administration's effort to tie its woke agenda its pronouns plans to the school lunch and and breakfast programs you called this biden's moonshot go woke or star very powerful op-ed a lot of people talking about it tell us what's so concerning about the biden administration's play on this
1: I mean, think about this. Is this where we are in the country where we're willing to starve kids to force boys into little girls' room, bathrooms? I mean, like, you know, I mean, back in the day when I probably didn't even know any better, my dad caught me running in the girls' bathroom. He'd whip me, you know? I mean, <laughs> you're not supposed to be in there, right? And so today we're encouraging him. Oh, yeah, you can go in there. It's not a problem. I mean, and, and then, and then of course, for those, um, you know, in, in states and, and school boards who who don't Subscribe to this wokeism is is basically they're gonna pull the nutritional program from them. I mean, really, it's either starve it or do it our way. I mean, what else would they would they use food as a weapon
0: for? Yeah, it's amazing. They're willing to let children starve. The the people who rely on that program are the most vulnerable children in the school system, and they're being held hostage for some political ideological uh, ideal ideology uh campaign it's just it's just remarkable well your op-ed people all across the country have been talking about it, very powerful another thing that people are talking about you've got the state triggers law post roe v wade reversal uh big win yesterday the la uh, excuse me louisiana department of health has published their first conditions so that there's clear medical guidance to the doctors i know that's one of the important steps of the law you kind of feel things are going well there don't you
1: yeah, you know, it was a huge win. Uh, the LDH uh, uh, basically published and sent those clinics a cease and desist uh, letter. It was a pretty strong-worded letter, and that was that was because we finally got uh, the Court of Appeal to strike down uh, the judge's ruling and grant us a suspensive appeal as we continue to litigate Louisiana's triggers laws, which now are in place. And so, you know, I think it was, I think, you know, the last, a couple of days have been great uh, for those who choose life over death um, in Louisiana. And, 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 and again, with LDH putting out the cease and desist order, I think that puts a, uh, the final nail into the coffin of that. We look forward to continuing to litigate this issue. The quicker the Supreme Court in Louisiana can take this matter up. We've been saying this all along. We seem to be lacking some leadership up there on the court. And uh, the quicker they can take it, the better off we are.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So First Circuit really made a big difference for that ruling. And you can see a lot of the machinations of the state government now pressing ahead to protect unborn babies. That's a big moment in Louisiana. Another place where I know you have a lot of frustration, the great city of New Orleans. I love that city. It's a beautiful city. The people are amazing. The leadership of the city certainly has had a hard time controlling crime and also complying with state law. I know you have a lot of issues with Mayor Cantrell. Just tell us a little bit about your concerns about the city's safety, the way they're enforcing the law down there.
1: Well, look, there's a direct coalition, coalition between the mayor's policies and the crime problem in New Orleans. I mean, there's no doubt that the. Policies and the positions that they have taken. In fact, in fact, it goes even further than that. It goes before Latoya, it goes to Mitch Landrieu, who's the mayor before that, who signed a consent decree that basically started the crime wave that has affected the city of New Orleans. Uh, and and of course, the city just continues to double down on on the liberal agenda. And as they do, more and more people are hurt. More victims uh, uh, victimization occurs, and we have seen some of those. Horrific, violent crimes. In fact, I saw a title the other day that New Orleans is now the murder capital of the world. And 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 as you said earlier, that certainly is 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 concerning because it is such a great city with so much rich tradition and culture. People come uh, from around the world to visit New Orleans. It's a huge port city. Uh, it's been there for you know 300 years. I mean, it's just it's 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 an unbelievable city, and 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 to have it run into the ground. Uh, because the political leadership is 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 disappointing, uh, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, the things that we're seeing out there, and they and they double down. You know, they just they, they just have a complete disregard for the rule of law.
0: Yeah, it really is remarkable and it comes at the expense of lives. It's just remarkable. We're seeing this all across the country with these blue run cities, they just seem to defy common sense and they defy the will of their own residents who want to be safe. They they want to be safe. They don't want to walk around wondering if their kid's going to get hit by a stray bullet. Do you think there are more things that you'll be able to do over time to compel the New Orleans city leaders to do what they need to do to protect public safety in that great city?
1: Look, absolutely. I think that when you start to pull tight uh, the, the the purse strings, I think you start to see a different action occur. I mean, of course, I'm sure they're going to kick and scream for the meanwhile and call us, a, you know, uh, a, you know, just a bunch of terrorists. But 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 again, I mean, when you look at the statistics and you see the amount of people in the city that are hurting and really and being victimized by crime, then, you know, you got no other choice if they just won't conduct themselves in an orderly rule of law manner.
0: Yeah, that's such an amazing dynamic to watch just for so long, just thumbing the nose at common sense and at the rule of law. As you look out, I know this case with Dr. Fauci, the CDC, the NIH are going to have to comply, start turning over their communications with these private entities, the social media companies, big tech. From your early work, what do you expect you're going to find That What should we all be looking for? And also, how will the public know when you get these documents?
1: Well, look, as we find things out and, you know, of course it is litigation. So some of that is kind of cloaked a little bit. Uh, we don't we don't want to show our hand or tip our hand. We want to win this particular case. But I can tell you, as we peel back the layers of this onion
0: and make certain things public, you'll be one of the first to know. Yeah, it's such an important development. And getting discovery like this is not easy. So this is like a big win for not only your office, but for transparency in general. Last question, because I think when people look at the group of attorney generals on the Republican side right now, you guys are blazing a path for federalism. You're reasserting states' rights in an era where Joe Biden's trying to create the biggest, most bullying federal government we've ever seen in American history. I know it probably wasn't your intent to just hey, I'm going to go out and revive federalism one day, but this is sort of what our founding fathers had in mind. What is it like to be on the front lines of kind of reviving one of the best ideas our founding fathers had?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's extremely exciting and, and thrilling to be able to see um, the ability to move and to shape the country back towards federalism where there is a respect for the people and a respect for state sovereignty. I think that's one of the biggest things that came out of um, the Dobbs decision, right, which is the one that overturned Roe, is that it looks like the Supreme Court is taking an avenue under which, you know, the federal government is, you know, may be forced to take a second seat at the table, and I think that is the important part of what the founders envisioned. I mean, you know, the Constitution was a contract between the people and the states. The federal government's like a byproduct. And today, we see the federal government, you know, just basically covering everything, occupying the entire field, and it, it wasn't even designed to do that. And so, it is from the perch of the attorney generals that we get to push back on, on uh, you know, on the growth of a centralized government, which is what many of our founders had uh, had feared.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. You had a great opportunity to speak at CPAC. Your thoughts about the energy of the conservative movement heading into this election? There just seemed to be a lot of enthusiasm the last few days down in Dallas. You're on the main stage. Tell us what you picked up from that great gathering.
1: Man, I'm telling you, I just did a great uh, interview with Matt Schlapp and, and Charlie. Uh, I can tell you that CPAC is just it's just brewing with people who are excited. They're ready for November. I think they feel the, the intensity. They understand the angst that people have out there. Um, I mean, you know, I said earlier, you know, I think Joe Biden gets a, a, you know gets to be put in the Guinness Book of World Records for wrecking our economy in the quickest amount of time. I mean, really, 24 months. I mean, gee whiz, you can't get from zero. I mean, he wrote a zero faster. Uh, and so I think that people who have come to see back are coming here, you know, wanting and thirsting for uh, some answers some solutions and looking for some leadership and that's what they're getting.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I love the Guinness Book uh, Records. It has really been a fast wreck. There's no doubt about it. General Andrew, it's an honor to always have you on this show. You always speak truth and you have some of the most fascinating legal work that we love when you're on and we're always learning something. So thanks for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Okay, we'll have some more for you soon. Thank you so we're much. We're ready for it. <laughs> All right. Take care. Take care, sir. God bless. All right, folks, we'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after this. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. A few days ago, there was an amazing op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. The headline says it all. What if they gave a war and everybody was woke? It's a question I've been asking on this show. The move for political correctness and liberal ideology in our fighting forces has just been so devastating. And our next guest, who is the author of that great op-ed, captured it perfectly. His name is Jimmy Byrne. He is a currently a student at Yale Law a former U.S. Army officer, former military legislative aide to Senator Tom Cotton, and a board member of a great nonprofit called Vets on Duty. Jimmy, great to welcome you to the show.
2: Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: You hit this one out of the park. I can't tell you the number of people who have sent this to me over the last couple of days. We see recruiting down. We see morale down. And as a former officer yourself in the U.S. military, I think you summarized it more powerfully than anyone I've seen do it. Tell us what inspired the op-ed.
2: Yeah, John. So, you know, the last, uh, the last couple of years, we've seen a number of moves by the Biden administration, um, you know, seemingly intent on politicizing the military with uh, some of the ideologies that you've sort of seen cropping up the last couple of years out of the Ivy League, as well as uh, corporate America. Um, and we're starting to see the results of these policies now. And I, you know, I mentioned this in the article, and I've, I've learned it firsthand uh, in talking to several of my uh, friends and colleagues who are veterans or even active duty service members that are, you know, privately conservative. And they're saying, you know, they're, some of them are telling their family members not to join the military, because they've seen a lot of these uh, political moves that have been made the last two years as a signal that, you know, the military has sort of gone the same way that we've seen other institutions in America going recently, um, which is embracing, you know. Uh, some of this uh, CRT ideology and sort of over-the-top gender activism. Uh, and, you know, they're believing that the military doesn't have the best uh, the best intentions in mind um, in, in engaging with some of these policies, and they're telling people not to join. Uh, and so I was very concerned about this. Uh, and then when I saw the recruiting numbers uh, popping up recently, you know, this was an issue that I wanted to bring before is that, you know, even with the challenging recruiting environment, the withdrawal from Afghanistan and everything else, you know, this this sudden drop in favoritism towards the military by conservatives in the last two years I don't think is a, uh, a bug, but rather a feature um, of some of these uh, policies we've engaged in, and I was concerned and wanted to bring it to the fore.
0: Yeah, pretty remarkable. And there's multiple things going on here that I found fascinating, and I think the Army tried to do something that created such an outcry that they reversed it quickly. They got rid of the high school graduation requirement But the numbers that I think NBC News had out recently is that the number of people who can meet the requirements for military service has dropped from 29% just a couple of years ago to 23%. Then the number of people that are actually applying down as much as 40%. A little drop in the people eligible, but a big drop in those even applying. I assume the application has to do with the wokeness and the loss of prestige that our military services are suffering. The lack of preparedness, what's going on there? Is this a a lack of concern about physical fitness, about mental acuity or finishing their school? What's going on there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that's a big part of it. And as you said, you know, we're seeing that of the small number of people that are actually eligible for military service, only about 9% of them are showing any interest in actually joining the military. Uh, Some of this has to do with health health issues. I mean, we do have, uh, you know, a teenage obesity crisis in this country. Um, And and we also have a problem where, you know, I think some schools are even canceling recess. You're not uh, seeing organizations like the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, uh, you know, uh, really doing as well as what they used to in in keeping people uh, in shape or young people in shape early. Uh, And I think the military is having a lot of problems, you know, finding uh, people in those groups uh, that are eligible for service. Uh, And we've also seen a lot of increase in medical issues as well. Um, the last two years, people have been inside, stuck, you know, uh, due to COVID uh, lockdowns, um, you know, getting unhealthier and healthier by the day. And I think the problem is the military has such a small number of people that it can, can pull from. And traditionally, um, uh, the, the people that are disproportionately joining the military or happen to be from mostly southern states, uh, and they mostly uh, tend to privately lean more conservative, uh, as as I mentioned in the article. And so... If those people are no longer becoming even interested in military service, even though they're eligible for it, uh, it's going to become a bigger and bigger problem for the military going forward, uh, finding those people and then bringing them into the fold uh, while they're also pushing a lot of these uh, these ideologies I discussed earlier that are making these people think uh, that, you know, the military is just becoming another uh, politicized institution and not something that they
0: want to be involved in. Yeah, Any doubt in your mind, uh, you had a great term in your column called anti-recruitment, that basically, whether it's the gender pronoun sensitivity training or the CRT, really what this is doing is it's actually creating the opposite effect on recruitment. It's actually making more people less willing to want to serve in the military. Anti-recruitment is a real dynamic right now, isn't it? Yeah, no, I
2: mean, I I think it is. Uh, A lot of the things that we've seen coming out of the military the last two years, the CRT training. Uh, the uh, infamous mandatory uh, ex- extremism stand down, which focused almost exclusively on on white supremacy and extremism, um, as well as uh, issues surrounding white privilege uh, and then microaggressions. All of these things that the military is bringing into training and making mandatory in, in many cases uh, is, is pushing these divisive, very divisive ideologies and uh, on service members and, you know, People who are looking to join, they're not looking to join to, you know, be indoctrinated or uh, be exposed necessarily to these ideas and told to, to follow them directly or be told that, you know, if you uh, walk up to a group of people and address them as guys, uh, which is a pretty common everyday colloquial thing, uh, that, you know, you're not an ally to your fellow service member. Uh, you know, when they see things like that, I, I don't blame them for thinking, you know, hey, does the, is, does the military, A, really need to be focusing on this? And, and, you know, should, shouldn't they be focusing on fighting and winning the nation's wars? which you can do without pushing this ideology? Uh, and, and two, like, am I going to have to, you know, to cave to this sort of stuff if I'm privately a, a conservative or whatever else? And, uh, and I won't have any recourse to be able to say you know no to it, especially when you're under UCMJ and, uh, and other things like that legally in the
0: military. There is a survey I've had my eye on for many years as a journalist, going back to late 90s, early 2000s, uh, when I first started looking at it. Every year, the Reagan Foundation does an extraordinary thing called the Reagan National Defense Survey. And you referenced one statistic in there that I think is absolutely stunning and probably gets to this. The number of people in America who say they have a great deal of confidence in our military fell 25% there, 34 points among Republicans. That is the largest decline ever detected in the survey. But here's another one that caught me as I was reading it the other day. Again, the number of people under the age of 30, which is right in that recruitment poll, right? Only 30% or 33% actually have a confidence in the military right now. We're the greatest fighting force in America. We've created more good in the world than any other country's military. How could we lose that much prestige that quickly?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a this is a, cl- a conglomeration of a lot of different things that you know the politicalization of the military, as I discussed, certainly being one of them. Um, and in fact, in that Reagan National Defense Survey that you mentioned, um, one of the most common reasons that were offered by respondents uh, that were concerned about their confidence in the military was actually political leadership. Um, and you know, you expect a, a little bit of a drop off uh, from one party or another when whenever a president switches out, but Uh, as you said, this was historic, uh, in the amount of people that, that dropped off. And in fact, Gallup even came out with a survey recently, uh, where they said that, uh, you know, conservatives trust in the military specifically has fallen, uh, another 10 points over the past year and then eight points for independence. Uh, and I think when you look at, you know, our disastrous withdrawal that we had, uh, from Afghanistan, the politicalization the military, um, uh, recent, uh, threats that have come up and how we have responded to those threats in some instances. uh, I think people are looking at this and and kind of wondering, you know, uh, what exactly is the military doing? What is it focused on right now? When we spend uh, an aggregate 5 million man hours, uh, which the the Pentagon actually sent this number to to Congress recently, when you spend 9 million man hours and half a million dollars on uh, extremism training. Uh, and supposedly it only rooted out about 100 people total in the entire 5 million-person DOD uh, that uh, had any ties to extremism. We don't even know if that was specific to white supremacy or not. Uh, you know what are we doing? Uh, we're we're putting resources towards things that we don't need to be focusing on, uh, whereas we need to start looking at things uh, like updating our technology, modernizing the military, making sure that our service members are prepared to go to combat and fight and win. Uh, you know, regardless of their race or religion or gender or anything else. So uh, it's unfortunate that people are are losing uh, faith and confidence in the military at such an alarming rate, and particularly for Republicans um, that have been pretty stalwart over the years on supporting it. And uh, hopefully we can turn that around uh, here in the near future.
0: Yeah, it's essential that we do so, especially in such a turbulent world, whether it's Russia, Ukraine, Iran, North Korea, we know We're going to face an extraordinary challenge on the global stage for the next decade, two decades, three decades. And all of these things suggest that maybe we're not going to be able to fulfill our need for an all-volunteer army, which is going to be really remarkable. I suppose a good moment the last few months, the new movie Top Gun Maverick, which I went to see, loved it, seemed to do a little bit to restore these people's remembrances of the good old days when we were proud of the military and its mission was deemed noble. It wasn't about political correctness or race. It was about protecting American sovereignty. Did that help at all, you think?
2: You know, I'm sure it did. I mean, I know that uh, back in the 80s, uh, you know, the Air Force and the Navy saw a huge bump uh, in recruitment then, and i, I or at least it, some sort of impact uh, that I think they called the Top Gun Effect, if I remember correctly, um, on, on recruiting that was positive. And I know there were definitely services that had uh, recruiters outside of the movie uh, talk Gun Maverick this time around. Yeah, which which is great. They were definitely trying to capitalize on it, and they're doing the right thing and doing that. I loved that movie. Um, specifically, when you, you what you were talking about is, you know, my time in service, uh, it's like you said, uh, you, you know, no matter who you were, uh, you know, race, gender, creed, whatever it was, you know, you looked at each other. In my case, in the Army, you looked at each other as a fellow soldier uh, or service member. Um, that was going to be watching your back when, you know, you had to deploy overseas or go to combat. And one of the things I loved about that movie was if you looked at that group of pilots that they have in the movie, they are incredibly diverse. You know, there's female pilots, you know, uh, there's uh, people of different races and religions involved in it. And the movie didn't have to elevate that forward. They did it very in a nuanced way uh and that's exactly how the military does it. It's they stick everyone together and you figure it out and you you work together towards a common goal. I thought it was terrific and I think it will actually help out because of that message that it gave that that Hollywood got away from uh its sort of traditional bashing the military and actually it did something I think was worthwhile this time.
0: Yeah, well thank God they finally did. It's so important to get that uh the south is a great supply line for our incredible volunteer military as many as 30 to 50% of young men and women from South Carolina, Florida, Alabama, and Georgia will volunteer to go into our armed services. Those are red states, politically red states right now. There seems to be a lot of shaming of conservatives. Does that in some way, just the political litmus test that's been going on in our country, does that also, you think, play into those states continuing to find eligible recruits for us?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think it can play into it. Um, You know, as I said in the article, I think in uh, 2018, in even the midterm elections, you know, nearly 45% of service members that were surveyed, you know, indicated they would back Republican candidates and only about 28% favored Democrats. Um, And same for the veteran population. Uh, And a lot of, uh, you know, a not surprising, you know, skew towards conservatism probably comes from the fact that we are uh, recruiting people disproportionately from, uh, mostly Southern and red states. So I think that a lot of this, um, you know, uh, shaming of conservatives and a lot of these pushing, uh, these, uh, you know, more left wing progressive ideologies I've talked about is going to make it harder for them to find people, uh, in some cases in some of these states. Um, and it's actually, you know, one thing that came up recently I thought was interesting is that I know the army was toying around with a draft policy about, uh, uh, basically service members asking to be relocated from one base to another if they were living in a state whose laws they disagreed with. Uh, I don't think that's been passed officially yet, and I'm not sure what the final result of it is. Um, But, you know, you really got to question, A, why was that policy put in place uh, to begin with? It seems like it's very politically charged. And B, you know, if service members are asking to leave these states, uh, or these are aimed towards states with conservative legislatures or governors, you know, what are you telling those states about you know, the worthiness of their service members to protect the country uh, and also telling them about the wor- you know, whether or not service members that are on active duty right now uh, are, are going to be willing to protect everybody and not just you know, the states where they agree with uh, the political ideology. Um, so I think it is going to make it harder, and particularly policies like that, our past. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where we go from there. I, it seems uh, very suspect to me, and probably should have never b- been brought up, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, really, really remarkable. It's mind-boggling. There. You mentioned Afghanistan. I just want to drill down one more time, because obviously you served in the military. You're an armored officer for the U.S. Army. That moment sent a lot of shockwaves through the very people who would want to serve. I think they felt like their service mm-hmm. wasn't honored by the way we exited. It. Beyond retention and recruitment, what other negative effects do you think the Afghan withdrawal is going to have on American security, American military readiness over the next decade?
2: Well, I, you know, one of the things that I think is, is going to be greatly affected, and this is related uh, particularly to the, um, the assassination of al-Zwahiri recently, a couple days ago, the successful strike that we uh, launched on him. Um, you know, I, first of all, yeah, obviously I commend, commend the Biden administration and commend their, their intelligence collection or intelligence community, rather, uh, and the military for the successful strike. But, you know, one of the things that it really highlights for us is that, uh, you know, an, a major al-Qaeda leader was sitting inside a personal villa of a Taliban leader. Who only months ago uh, was uh, part of the Haqqani network, which <laughs> was a terrorist or, or I should say an insurgent organization that was hell-bent on killing u you s know, service members, and you know he felt emboldened enough to walk out on a balcony in that villa uh, that he was being given uh, safety and uh, and it makes you wonder you know who else is uh, is hiding out in Afghanistan that the Taliban is giving cover to. Uh, and, and, you know, the fact that we left Afghanistan in the way that we did, and we pulled so many, uh, uh, you know, or pulled really all of our troops out of there, uh, it's made the job of, of counterterrorism people you know, significantly harder. This over-the-horizon counterterrorism operation um, that we pulled off is no easy feat. Uh, and, and without having people on the ground to actually, uh, you know, figure out uh, what type of organizations have moved into that vacuum that's been created, um, we really could see, you know, potentially, hopefully not, there's potentially a resurgence of terrorist activity uh, in Afghanistan that could, you know, potentially, uh, you know, hit uh, U.S. targets overseas or even at home. Hopefully that doesn't happen. And I think that in its relation to the military, uh, you know, I think service members will continue to be focused to some degree on those uh, ideas. But we also have to keep in mind that, you know, our our you know, potential adversary that we may have to face down one day, China or Russia um is is also a bigger fight that we're going to have to continue to prepare for so it's going to take away some uh you know this an increased counterterrorism operation is going to take away some of that focus that we should be uh bringing towards china and russia and other adversaries um and it's going to make it a little bit harder uh for the military to to remain focused when they're trying to play terror whack-a-mole in afghanistan um you know Hopefully that uh, that doesn't manifest itself, but I'm a little bit concerned it's going to that now that we've pulled out the way we did.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I hear that from career military folks, from intelligence folks, that the situation has worsened really, really quickly. Jimmy, you do some great work for an organization called Vets on Duty. Uh, real quickly before we go, tell us what they do and why they're so important and how people can get involved.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the group I'm a part of is called Veterans on Duty. We uh, we have a website called VetsOnDuty.org, uh, and I encourage all of your, uh, your listeners to go and visit and sign up for our mailing list. Uh, we're a nonprofit uh, veterans advocacy organization. Um, we're not just working to ensure that, you know, the Pentagon remains a political place and that we get some of these uh, you know, uh, recent social policies that have come up that, that, you know, we disagree should not be part of uh, everyday military life out of the military. We're also fighting for critical national security policies, and we're going to make sure that we're able to fight and win against potential adversaries like China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, if that time ever comes, hopefully it doesn't, uh, and bring back uh, everybody home uh, safely. Um, so if you want to support us or, uh, or or visit our website, again, it's VetsOnDuty.org. Encourage you to go there, uh, check out our platform, and uh, stay in touch with us.
0: Yeah, I've got it bookmarked, and I've uh, been using it, Vets on Duty. Folks, go check it out, vetsonduty.org. Definitely a must-read site if you're concerned about the direction of this country and its impact on our great fighting men and women. Jamie, what an honor to have you on. What a great public service your op-ed in the Wall Street Journal was. I'm so glad to be able to talk about it. We're going to get you back on real soon because I have a funny feeling this issue isn't going away anytime soon. <laughs>
2: Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Uh, I hope it does, but
0: uh, who knows? (laughs) Your voice probably woke a lot of people up, so thanks for doing that. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll have a little bit more discussion about the news right after this.
3: Okay, it's time to commit. Mm, mm, mm. visit carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be convenient comfortable Ah.
0: all right folks that wraps up another edition of john solomon reports hey this weekend we're going to do a twofer for you we're going to give you both a saturday and sunday edition of john solomon reports why we've got a lot of great interviews we've done this week we've captured them on audio why not Make a couple extra shows, and if you're out mowing the lawn or sitting on the deck sipping a glass of wine, you've got something to dig into, a little bit of fact, a little bit of newsmaker interview. So tomorrow, former Congressman Doug Collins of the great state of Georgia, he's going to talk about all the FBI shenanigans, the extraordinary comments that the FBI director made at the hearing yesterday. You heard most of that because of our exclusive interview yesterday on this show with Senator Chuck Grassley. And then after that, we're going to talk to Ken Blackwell about the state of election integrity in America. He's the former Ohio Secretary of State, a state that has its election integrity kind of stuffed together. You they, they don't hear a lot of problems with Ohio vote counting. Ken Blackwell is an expert, and he's going to try to help us explain why it took three or four days to settle the Arizona races. What's wrong with mail in voting in Arizona? What can be done to fix it in states like Arizona? We're going to cover both of that. So, FBI integrity, election integrity, back-to-back tomorrow in a special edition on Saturday of John Solomon Reports. And then on Sunday, boy, we've got a sidewinder for you. Some really great guests. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee on the front lines of worrying about that recruitment issue, worrying about the Russia issue, worrying about the China issue. Very insightful interview from her. Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina. He's going to talk about the budget crisis, inflation. Biden economy, Biden weakness on the world stage. Really great one. And then the big surprise winner of this week's primaries, got to be Michigan gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon, now the Republican nominee going up against Gretchen Whitmer, a former colleague of mine at Real America's Voice. We love Tudor. She gave us her vision for how she can take down one of the giants of the Democratic Party, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Two women going head to head in the fall. It's going to be a great race in Michigan. Not going to want to miss that. Then our good friend Alan Dershowitz, the great law professor, gonna talk to us about the state of censorship in America and all that goes with that. And then finally, I think one of the sane, sage, honest voices in the public health space. I always say this, if he had been our chief epidemiologist in the country, if he was Dr. Anthony Fauci instead of Dr. Fauci, I wonder if the world would have been a lot different with Dr. Harvey Risch in charge. Dr. Risch from Yale Public Health School, Joining us to talk about all of the reversals and backpedaling going on in Washington from current and former CDC, NIH, NIAED, FDA officials. Apparently, what they told us during the pandemic hasn't quite panned out. And now they're backpedaling, and Americans are beginning to get a case of whiplash. Dr. Harvey Risch can explain why that's going on and what the truth is. Help us sort out fiction from fact. All right, folks, that's Sunday. We're going to have a great weekend of guests. Now, one last thing before we go. I am a big champion of Second Amendment. I'm proud of the weapons I own. I'm proud of the fact that I'm well-trained and that I take safety as my number one responsibility when I own a firearm and locking it up and, and firing properly and making sure that i am got the muscle memory and the safety consciousness to always be a responsible Second Amendment gun owner. And we've got great partners that help us on that front. One of them puts together a regular online safety gun course and I love it I've gone through it myself learn how to safely shoot store and care for your firearm from the IHEA all you got to do to take advantage of the course is to go to ffcourse.org just go visit ff as in federal firearm ffcourse.org today and take one of their accessible online courses that's ffcourse.org to learn how to safely shoot to build up that muscle memory, to build up that skill and care that it requires to be a responsible firearm owner. All of this available from the great folks at IHEA. They are great partners with this show. They help make what we do at Just the News possible, what we do at John Solomon Reports, at Just the News, Not Noise television show. So it doesn't hurt to support some of the great people that we have and also build your firearm skills, your safety repertoire, your muscle memory for good firearm shooting, good firearms training, good firearm safety. Please go support my good friends at IHEA by going to ffcourse.org. That's right. Go to ffcourse.org today to get one of the accessible online gun safety and skill training. That's amazing sessions. I love them. It's a great thing. All right, folks, have a great weekend. Saturday and Sunday, we'll give you a little extra content, some newsmaker interviews, some food for thought if you got the time. Until then, may God bless you, and may God bless this extraordinary country of the United States, as he always has. Yep, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from JustTheNews.com. At Just The News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia Collusion. Hunter Biden